Let's give him a hand clap of praise one more time. This morning, we're going to look at how to know you are eternally secure. This is the second week of looking at eternal security. Last week we talked about secure forever. This week, how to know you are eternally secure. Next week we will look at this again and we will go to passages of Scripture that try that people use to try to refute this doctrine and we will look at different ways to interpret those passages to show that they don't teach that you can lose salvation. But by way of introduction, I believe that if you are a believer, that if you are a true child of God, if you've been born again, you are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you are saved, you have an eternal salvation, and you are saved forever. That if you are in Jesus Christ, you are a part of His family and you can experience all the peace and security that He wants all of His children to enjoy. I mentioned this last week, but I believe it bears repeating that if you want to be a productive Christian, that if you want to be fruitful, you need to know that your future is absolutely secure. That if you're going to do any kind of great work for Jesus, you need to be able to focus on the task at hand instead of always worrying about your future. You can't be fearful and worrying about whether or not you're going to make it to heaven if you expect to do anything great for God. You see, this type of fear and doubt cripples us and prevents us from reaching our fullest potential as believer. In fact, this type of fear often prevents people from coming to faith because they believe, I don't know if I can hold out. If I get saved, it might not last. It might not work. So I don't want to go to altar and start something because I might not be able to finish. And it keeps people from coming to Jesus. Amen? I don't want to quit. And sometimes it keeps people from coming to Jesus. Because here's the thing. How many has ever started something you ain't finished nothing? We, got, we all got projects around the house, don't we, that we started and we ain't finished. And that's how it is with some people. I, I don't want to go to altar and, and, and start something not finished. Well, last week I gave you three reasons why we're eternally secure. First of all, we're secure because Jesus gives us eternal life. Eternal life can't be temporary life and eternal life can't be conditional because then that would re- render eternal life void. If it's conditional, it can't be eternal. It's null and void. Secondly, we are secure because Jesus said we would never perish. If Jesus promised that His sheep would never perish, we would never come into judgment. And if it's a promise and He always keeps His promises, and if one of His sheep perishes, then that makes Jesus a liar. And we can't trust Him and we can't trust His Word. Thirdly, we are secure because Jesus said nothing could ever pluck us out of His hand or the Father's hand. We can never be separated from Him. 
He and the Father are holding on to us and we can never escape their grip. Again, let me remind you, it's not about how well you hold on to God, it's about how well God holds on to you. Amen? I'm glad He's holding on to me. And listen, if He's holding on to you, you cannot run away from Him and and get out of His grip. Why? Because you're not more powerful than He is. Listen, if if Satan can snatch you out of his hand, you you could be lost. But listen to the thing, if Satan could snatch you out of his hand, Satan would already have you. And Satan can't have you. And here's the thing, Satan's more powerful than you without God in you. Amen? So with God's help this morning, I want to show you how you can know for sure that you are eternally secure. And I know that this is divided. And we've got some here this morning that will say, Amen, preacher. And some that will sit here and maybe raise your eyebrows and think, Well, preacher, I don't know if I exactly agree with you. But keep an open mind this morning. And I believe that I can maybe shed some light on this subject. And you can take God's Word with you. And you can go home and study and pray. And I believe that God will help enlighten us this morning. But I believe that next to salvation, the greatest blessing in life is knowing that you are eternally saved. Amen? But before we discuss why the believer is eternally secure, we've got to be on the same page. We've got to define some terms, and we need to know what a believer is. Let me just say this. A believer is not somebody who's walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, and shook the preacher's hand. A believer is somebody that has believed on Jesus by faith. They have received Him into their heart as Savior and they are totally trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation. They're not trusting in their good works. They're not trusting in their baptism. They're not trusting in their church membership. They are trusting in Christ and Christ alone. They have been born again according to what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and they have become a partaker of the divine Nature. That person can never be lost again. But you may say, preacher, what about those who appear to be saved but have no interest in spiritual things? I would say they were never truly saved to begin with. Maybe they used to attend church. Maybe they've been baptized and maybe they made a public profession of faith. They may have looked like a Christian. Well, let me just ask you, What does it mean to look like a Christian? Wearing the right outfit? Listen, I've known people who who wear shirts with crosses on them and wear uh, gold crosses around their neck and still cuss you out. I've known people who talk in tongues on Sunday and still gossip about you on Monday and lie about you, and cheat. Is that a Christian? (laughs) Right? People look like Christians, but they're out in the world. We've all seen it happen, haven't we? I would say they were probably never saved. Jesus spoke about these people. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils? 
And in your name done many wonderful works. Sounds like Pentecostal people. Prophesied, cast out devils, and done wonderful works. And then I will profess to them, notice this, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I once knew you and you turned away. He didn't say, I once knew you and you backslid and lost it. He said, I never knew you. Hear what I'm about to say. If a person has left the faith and stayed away, then they never had faith to begin with. Adrian Rogers used to say it this way, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. If it doesn't last, it wasn't real. Amen. If it don't last, it's not real. It'll last if it's real. If it's genuine, if you know Jesus, it'll last, it'll endure, it'll persevere, and you'll make it. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. A person's left the faith and stayed away, they were never saved. They didn't lose their salvation, they simply never had faith to begin with. Listen to what 1 John 2.19 says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Again, the reason people fall away and stay away is because they were never saved. You want me to illustrate it to you from the Bible? Look at the difference between Peter and Judas. Peter denied Jesus three times and the Bible says the last time the cock crew, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Why? Because he knew he had denied Jesus and I believe he went out and wept bitterly and he repented because he knew what he had done wrong and we find Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching and 3,000 get saved. He fell, but Jesus said, Peter, I pray that your faith fail not. And we knew that he came back to God. But Judas, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss and he even tried to turn the money, but what returned the money back to the Pharisees. But then what do you find Judas doing? He went out and he hung himself. Judas was never born again. But here's the thing, Judas looked like he was a Christian. Because when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they all said, is it me? Because from the beginning, Jesus said, I've chosen you, and yet one of you is a devil. He never had faith to begin with. He didn't have faith and lose it. He never had it from the start. Because Jesus called him a devil from the very beginning. Can you see it in the Bible? Just because somebody says they're a believer don't mean they are. And so, this morning, for those of us that are truly trusting in Jesus, I want to give you eight reasons, and I'm going to have to preach quick. Eight reasons why you are eternally saved. Number one, God's sacred promise. God's sacred promise. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. These are very familiar scriptures. I've used these over the past several weeks many times, but I can't get away from them because they say something very important. 
It says, for I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me. When God makes a promise, God's going to keep His promise. Why? Because His promises are His guarantee. And here He promises that there is no force in heaven or in the world below that can ever separate us from His love. Paul says death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature can ever separate us from the love of God. He lays out ten things, ten opponents that can never separate us from the love of God. That is a sacred promise. And I challenge you today to name any force other than what Paul mentioned that could ever separate us from the love of God you can't do it nothing can separate us from the love of God name something for me that'll separate us from his love there's nothing you can't separate yourself from his love because once he set his love on you you can't be separated that's a promise That's a guarantee. Amen? Number two, God's determined purpose. Philippians 1.6 Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident of this. That which God starts, He will finish. You see, God is the one who saves us. Salvation is the work of God. It's not do it yourself. Amen. I didn't save myself. You didn't save yourself. Nobody else saved me but God and God alone. Let me ask you, who began a good work in us? The Holy Spirit of God. He was the convictor. Do you think that you were convicted of sin by yourself? Absolutely not. The Bible says there is no one who seeks after God. He's the one who ran you down and convicted you of your sin. And if he couldn't run faster than you could run, you could never be saved. But one day he chased you down. The hound of heaven came after you and convicted you and brought you to God. Amen? You couldn't outrun him. He called us and he captured us and convicted us. Amen? But not only is He the convictor, He's the converter. He's the one who opened our understanding. But not only is He the convictor and the converter, He's also the completer. You see, God never starts something that He can't finish. God's going to finish the work that He started in us. That's a promise. Paul, being confident of this very thing that we, which began a good work in us, will perform it, will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, if any believer could ever be lost again, it would mean that God would be defeated in His eternal purpose. And that's impossible. God's going to finish what He began in you. Listen, God didn't save you and start something only to leave it unfinished. God's going to finish it. And I don't understand why we have a problem believing such simple scriptures. That if God started it, 
And he's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, which means his return. Why can't we believe that? It's simple. Who began it? And it says, He which hath began a good work in you will perform it, will perfect it, will complete it. When? Until the day of Jesus Christ. I just don't believe I'm secure. He starts it and going to keep performing it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's so complicated? And I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm not trying to be mean, but what's so complicated? You can't defeat God's purpose. He starts and He finishes it. He's not like us that starts things and then don't complete them. We start projects and leave them undone. God doesn't. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't start something and then halfway through, stop. He completed it. And then on the seventh day, He rested. Because He was done. And guess what? He's still working on us. But can I tell you, in His eyes, we're already finished. But guess what? Until we get to heaven, He's still working. He's still sanctifying. He's still cleansing. He's still, he's still pruning and He's still purging. But God's going to make sure we're conformed to the image of His Son. Amen? Let me just say this before I move on. If salvation is your work, you're probably not going to last. But if it's God's work, it's going to be completed. Number three, God's sovereign predestination. God's sovereign predestination. Romans 8, 29, verse 30. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, there these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Those who receive Christ are predestined to go to heaven and to be just like Jesus. You see, God saw it, He planned it, He predestined it, and He brought it to pass. That word predestined there in the text means that God predetermined it, He preplanned it, He decided it in advance. It means that He, he, he predetermined you to be just like Jesus. And if He's already decided it in advance, you know what's going to happen? It's going to happen. Those he foreknew. Some translations read, he knew his people in advance. He knew those that were going to be saved. And he already determined, you're going to be just like Jesus. And if he already determined, I'm going to be just like Jesus, guess what? This old boy's going to be just like Jesus. And it's going to take from the time I got saved until I get to heaven. But guess what? I'm going to be just like Jesus. Because of the Predetermined plan of God. And that's why I can say I'm safe in Christ. Because it's been predestined. And listen, I can't overthrow His plan and you can't overthrow His plan. If I'm His, I can't overthrow His plan because He's done planned it. 
You see, it is impossible to be saved and then lost again because that would destroy His predestined plan. In fact, let me say this. In God's eyes, it's as though we're already in heaven. In fact, that's why Paul said in Ephesians 2, 6 that we've been already made to see it in heavenly places. In fact, according to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, we're already citizens of heaven. Why? Because I've been born again. And guess what? Once you've been born as a citizen, you can't be unborn and become an uncitizen. And that might not be a proper word, but guess what? I've been born as a citizen of the United States, and I'll never not be a citizen. And if I've been born again and become a citizen of heaven, I'll never not be a citizen of heaven. Some of you is frowning and some of you, your minds are working. If we could change it or Satan could change it, it would mean that God weren't omniscient or omnipotent. And God would have to cease to exist. But if God's all-powerful and God's all-knowing and God's determined it, and, God's, and listen, if God settled it in eternity, we can't unravel it in time. If he knows the end from the beginning, and Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and God knew those that were going to be saved and predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, we can't unravel it while we live out here in time. Because he already knows the end. He knows those that are going to heaven. Because he's already determined Preacher, that just don't sound fair. He's God. And He knows those that are His. Listen, don't you think God knows those that are His? And He knows those that are saved and will ever be saved? Right? And He can do what He wants to do? Number four, Oh, we, we, we're halfway there. We're moving. Calvary's perfect provision. Oh, I like this verse we're about to read. Hebrews 10, 14. I might get happy and shout right here. Four by one offering. He has perfected forever. Them that are saints. Notice the phrase, perfected forever. Jesus hung on the cross in agony, never to die again. His one offering perfected forever those of us who are saved. And because of the perfect sacrifice, we have complete perfection in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you get saved, God doesn't just give you a fresh start. He gives you eternal perfection by that one offering. You see, nowhere in the Bible can you find where anybody is ever saved twice. You can't find it. 
You can't find where anybody was saved twice any more than you can find where anybody was born twice physically. You're only born physically once. And you're only born spiritually once. You can't... I can't be unborn physically. I can't be unborn spiritually. You never find it being repeated. Why? Because by one offering, He has perfected us forever. He made us perfect by His sacrifice. He didn't make us perfect for a little while. What does it say? He perfected us forever. He didn't make a down payment for our sanctification. He paid the debt in full and purchased it forever by His precious blood. Now we aren't perfect in the flesh, only in the spirit. And see, that's what you got to understand. It's only in the spirit that we're perfect. This flesh, it still sins. And when we get out of line, God will take you behind the woodshed. He'll straighten you out. He'll correct you. He'll chasten you. He'll discipline you. That's what God does. But here's the thing. Even though we get out of line in the flesh and God has to correct us, in God's eyes, you're still seen as perfect. Listen to what Romans chapter 4 verse 5 through 8 says. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, notice this, apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You see, we aren't saved by good works and we don't lose it by bad ones. We're saved through the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying you have a license to go live like you want to. So hear me and understand me. I'm not saying that we can just go out and do what you want to. If a person says, I'm secure, I'm saved and secure, now I can just go live a life of uh, just, just unholy living, that's not what I'm saying. If a person says, I'm saved and secure and I can just go live like I want to, then you probably ain't met Jesus. Because listen, I don't want to sin. Amen? A person that's been saved don't want to sin. That's a good place to say amen. If you hadn't said amen yet, that's a good place to say one. But we're saved through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and we've been declared perfect forever. And so when you got saved, God wrote righteous on your account. Aren't you glad for that? Because in yourself, you aren't righteous. In myself, I'm not righteous. But when I got saved through faith in Christ, He put righteous, He stamped righteous on my account. Now if you're here today and you believe you can lose your salvation, the only way you can ever be saved again, Jesus got to come back and die again. And can I tell you, that's not going to happen. Because he died once for all. And by one offering, he perfected forever. That's the reason he came. Because in the Old Testament, yearly, they had to go to the temple and offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice only to cover sin. But John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
So if you believe you can lose it, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That's what the Bible says. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. He died for it once to take care of it. And that's it. He died once. That means you're saved once. Amen? Number five. The saint's new position. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is familiar. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we received Christ by faith, we became a new creature, a new creation. Literally, we became a part of Christ. We become united with Him. If you're in Christ, that's your new position and what pertains to Jesus pertains to you. You are in Christ and the only way you could lose your salvation would be for Christ to lose His relationship with the Father because you're in Christ. Think about that. You're connected to Jesus through faith and the only way you could ever be lost again would be for Jesus to be lost and cut off from the Father. That's unthinkable. That's impossible. I've been placed in Him. And the only way I could ever be lost is if He ever gets severed. You think Jesus is going to ever get severed from the Father? No. That means I can't ever get severed from the Father. Why? Because I'm in Him. That's our position. I'm in Christ. Let me give you a, 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 a little illustration here. Think about Noah and his family while they were on the ark. They were secure because they were in the ark. They were safe because of their position inside that ark. And if you read it there in Genesis chapter 7, I believe it is, the Bible says that God called out to him and said, Come into the ark. Now, if you read other translations besides the King James or New King James, it, it, it says God told them to go into the ark as though God commanded them. But I like how the King James and New King James read. He invited them, Come into the ark, implying that God was in the ark. And he gave them an invitation to come into the ark. And the Bible says that God shut the door. He sealed the door. Can I tell you what the Bible tells us? That we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. We're being kept. And we're being secured. Just like Noah and his family were safe in the ark. Because you see, the ark is a typology or an illustration of Jesus. They were safe in the ark. But here's the thing is that ark was out there during that flood. It probably tossed and went up and down during those waves. And Noah, he probably rocked and reeled and he may have fell down many times while he was in that boat. But here's the thing. He was safe and secure and he never fell out. He couldn't have got out if he wanted to get out. And can I tell you, we have a much greater measure of safety than Noah did. You see, our safety is not in a place, it's in a person. And His name is Jesus. We're in Him. 
Once you're in Him, you can't get out of Him. Amen. Number six, the believer's eternal possession. John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, that means listen up. Truly, truly. I say to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Let me ask you a question. When do you get eternal life? Do you get it when you die and go to heaven? No. Sometimes you see a grave marker that says this, entered into eternal life. Hear me well. If you don't have eternal life before they put your body in the ground, you're not going to get it when they put you in the ground. That's a little too late. You get eternal life the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. That's what this verse says. The moment you believe, you have eternal life. Notice also what Jesus says. We have passed from death to life. It doesn't say we're going to pass. It says that when you believe, we're passed from death to life and shall not come into condemnation. We're not going to be judged. Again, this is one of these verses that makes it very plain, very simple, and yet people still scratch their heads. Do you have everlasting life? You believe in Jesus, you do. When did you get it? When you believed. If you have everlasting life, will it ever end? No, because it's everlasting. If it ends, whatever you had wasn't everlasting. We weren't given 10-year life, 50-year life, or until I sin life. We were given eternal life. And if it's eternal, it's not temporary. Does all this make sense? I know some of you are still boggled with all I'm saying, but here's the thing. If you have eternal life, it's eternal. Not temporary. It's the present possession of us now. And if I have eternal, everlasting life now, if I lose it somewhere down the road, it's, it's not eternal. That right there alone ought to settle the fact that I'm His forever. The fact that also Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and be your comforter and abide with you forever. He's not checking out tomorrow at 11 a.m. He's not checking out every time I sin and mess up. He doesn't run away. And I tell you what happens when we sin? We grieve Him. He don't check out. He checked out and left you. How are you going to repent? How are you going to confess your sin? How are you going to draw near to God? The Holy Spirit leaves every time. In fact, let me just say this. For, for, for those who, who, who believe you can walk away from God and lose your salvation, think about everything that has to be undone for you to be lost again. You become a new creation in Christ. That means you're going to have to no longer be a new creation in Christ. That means instead of being in the light now, you've got to go back in darkness. That means instead of being alive now, you've got to go back to being dead in sin. 
Instead of now being a partaker of the divine nature, that means you go back to your old nature. You go back to being His enemy. And I've done showed you in order to be saved, God has to draw you. Well, let me just ask you this. For those who believe you can be saved, they also be, be lost again. They believe you can be saved again and come back to God. Well, let me just say this to you. What if God never draws you back again? Because in order to be saved, God has to draw you. So let me just say this. Salvation is not this revolving door that you can just walk in and out of. If God had to draw you the first time, I believe God's got to draw you the second time. What if you walk away and God don't draw you again? You may have had one shot, that was it. Listen, I, I believe that's just as dangerous as telling people that you're saved and secure to tell people you can be saved as many times as you want to. I believe that's just as dangerous. Is it not? Because here's the thing, listen, if I still believe that salvation is this revolving door that I can go, listen, I'd get saved, I'd walk out that revolving door, go live my life, and then on my deathbed, here I am, God. And go to heaven. And never serve Him a day of my life. Couldn't that happen? If I can walk away and then come back, I can get saved, go do what I want to, and I'll just come back when I'm good and ready. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. But when somebody truly gets born again and God keeps them and God really does work in their life, you will not want to walk away, but you'll want to serve Him. There's going to be times we stumble and trip and fall along the way, but God gets us and God helps us. Amen? Because the reality, listen, if we'd all be honest today, the only reason any of us are here is because of His grace and His mercy. You cannot honestly say today that you're here because of your own strength and your own ability and your own willpower. You cannot do it and be honest with yourself and be honest to God that you're here because of your own ability. Because if Satan could have you, he'd already have you. And if you could have walked away, you'd already walked away. But God's in control of this thing. I've got to move on. I've got two more points. Number seven. Jesus' interceding prayer. Look at John 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. You see, Jesus never prayed a prayer that wasn't answered. And He always prayed according to the Father's will, and God always said yes. Amen? And here's the thing. He prayed for the disciples here, but guess what? He also prayed for you and He prayed for me. And if He's praying for us, guess what? It's going to be answered. In verse 20, He prayed for us. In verse 24, He prayed for us. Look at John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. He's praying for us. And then in verse 24, He expresses a desire that will be brought to pass. Listen to it. John 17, 24. 
Father, I will or I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Where is Jesus? And he says, I will, I desire that they, the ones you've given me, be with me where I am. Well, if he's praying that we be with him where he is, where do you think you're going to end up? That they may behold my glory. He wants us to see his glory. Which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He prayed for us. Before we were ever came into this world, He already interceded for us. And God answers His prayer. But can I give you one more thing here? He's praying for you now. He's still praying for you. Let's look at it. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for them. He's still interceding. That little phrase, save to the uttermost, means to save all the way, to save you to the end, because He always makes intercession for you. Some translations render the phrase, save to the uttermost, as save forever. He's interceding for us, and it means we are saved to the uttermost, saved forever. Wow. Number eight, God's almighty power. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power is greater than any other and it's His power that keeps us saved. It's not your power that keeps you saved. It's the power of God that keeps us saved. See, God is protecting us. God is keeping us. God is guarding us against the enemy. I've already mentioned this, but if Satan could get one believer out of the hand of God, he would have them all. But Satan can't do that. God is protecting us and the enemy can't have us. I read these verses last week, but John chapter 10, verse 28-29 says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. A, little, a literal rendering of verse 28 is this, And I give to them eternal life, and they shall not at all by any means, in any case, in any place, at any time, for any purpose, whether they be male or female, perpetually or eternally, ever perish. Wow. You'll never, never, ever That word perish is also interesting. It literally means they can never destroy themselves. The Good Shepherd has made it His mission that we will arrive home safely. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. He will never lose any of His sheep. He starts with a hundred, He'll end with a hundred. We will be safe. We will make it home. Satan can't take us out of the hand of God. And people argue, well, I can take myself out. Nothing can take us out of the hand of God. You cannot take yourself out of the hand because that would go against what Jesus said. We'll never perish. You can't take yourself out. 
you're not stronger than God, will never perish. In fact, here's the thing. We can be our own worst enemy, can't we? That means God's got to protect us against ourselves. <laughs> I'm thankful God protects me against myself because I can be my own worst enemy. I'm thankful today that I am secure. So in closing, are you a believer? If you are, you can rejoice because you are eternally secure in Christ. You need to stop allowing the devil to kick you around. You are a child of God. You're going to heaven. And you have a right to feel good about what God's done for you. You can be productive. You can be fruitful. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to make it. God said you're going to make it. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in anxiety. You don't have to live from day to day whether or not you're in the family. You've heard me say this before. I've got to close. You've heard me say this before. Could you imagine a child that always wondered whether or not he's in the family? He's good this week and so he's loved and he's accepted but then next week he misbehaves and they don't take care of him and they say you're not going to be a part of the family this week. Go to your room. We don't want anything to do with you. Could you imagine what kind of emotional toll that would take on him? That's how a lot of Christians live their life. I messed up today. God's mad with me. God doesn't accept me today. God doesn't want anything to do with me today. Wow. How a lot of people live their life. But then they do good one day, bro. Oh, God's pleased today. And I tell you, if you're in Christ, God's always pleased. Because it's not my righteousness, it's His. God's always pleased. That don't mean that God's not going to straighten me out if I get out of line. But in Christ, God's always pleased. And there's a difference between punishment and discipline. But here's the thing, I'll never come under condemnation. Because there is no condemnation in Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me?